Hello, and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We're here with another Penguin Little Black Classics review episode. This is episode number 64 in that collection. Today we'll be covering Joseph Conrad and a short story by him called Tomorrow. Joining me on the other end is the now officially minted intrepid ponder, Amanda. (laughs) Hello. I believe once you have created an Instagram account with any name in it, you are now bound by blood. I think so. Yeah, that goes right on the birth certificate. You can just (laughs) copy and paste that right on over. Mm -hmm. Probably need it notarized, though. (laughs) uh, Yeah, everything, right? It's exhausting. (laughs) Coronavirus times is just another hurdle to jump. Who knows where you'll find a public notary or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, manipulate your uh, birth certificate at own risk, of course. But I think that's what you should do. That's just my, (laughs) yeah, that's my two cents. (laughs) I'm also not a notary, so, you know. (laughs) Don't take it from me, folks. As I said, though, we're going to be covering another Penguin Little Black Classic today. This is a review episode, which if you're tuning in for the first time, we basically review and recommend something or don't recommend it by the end of this episode. We'll be kind of light on spoilers. That's the general intention. And yeah, this is different than a book club episode, which would be more of a deep dive or an analysis. Hopefully you're in for a book review and recommendation. If you're listening to this, I say we jump right into it, Amanda, unless you got any business off the top. I'm good. Fantastic. People will also not know this, though. I'm feeling it in my brain. We haven't podcasted in two weeks, which the release schedule continues on uh, unimpeded. We've been releasing things weekly, but you and I have been away from this for two weeks. So this is our comeback episode, kind (laughs) of. Yeah. Behind the scenes, anyway. Again, the listeners, well, you wouldn't have known that unless I told you. We like to be pretty upfront here on this here podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to keep things uh, too secretive. So anyway, we're back and we're doing another review. Um, One thing that I wanted to add in, and it's a bit late in the series to add this segment, but we're doing it anyway. Always always ready to innovate here on the pod. We're going to begin with actually a brief rundown of the work. I pulled some what I would call the the middle school essential questions of a piece of literature. I'm going to briefly run through some answers to those questions just so you, the listener, have a clearer picture of what it is we read and sort of what the background of it is. I'm not going to spoil what happens in the story, but I'm just going to kind of set up some context. This is just in case you're listening in and you maybe have no intention of reading it. I know sometimes we dive in pretty quickly with the analytical stuff without actually setting up just the basic questions of what we read. So that's where we're going to start today. Um, And I I wrote them up or typed them up. Amanda, do you see them? I do. Cool. I'll take the first one. And then if you want to take any of the others, just let me know and feel free to jump in. So what is this that we read? It is a short story. Um, Sometimes from week to week, we read very different things. This was just one short story. It was about an old retired sailor, uh, English, I believe, though I forgot the names of the the towns. They're in there, though. I think it's England, Yeah, it was England, yeah. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. And uh, it's about him spending his days just waiting for the return of his son. He's just awaiting this person who left, I think, over 15 years ago Mm -hmm. and has not been back since. Um, It also deals a lot with his neighbor slash... Leasey? Is that the word? Yeah. A renter? renter. Yeah. Yeah, renter. <laughs> uh, because he's a property owner and he owns these combined, these two little huts combined. And so there's people who live there. And that's the basic plot of the story. It's just about this man, his interactions with his neighbor or, or Leasey or renter, and then him waiting for his son. Who uh, wrote this, Amanda? And what should we know about him? Joseph Conrad. Um, he is, he was, sorry, a Polish writer, but... Um, mm-hmm spent most of his life in England. Um, and he wrote famously Heart of Darkness, which I believe everybody reads in high school, right? 
So I think in the AP classes, I yeah. don't think it really gets outside of those very much. Uh, well, yeah. um, but the the movie Apocalypse Now is based off of Heart of Darkness, and uh, there's a yep. lot of post colonial readings of Heart of Darkness as well. Yeah, yeah, he's well known in that. He's kind of in that sweet spot between the 1900s or sorry, the 1800s and 1900s in mm-hmm. terms of his writing since he wrote right at the turn. And so, yeah, his literary style is kind of, he's kind of in between them in a weird way. He's kind of modernist. You read right. some of his stuff and you think that's kind of a modernist thing, but then in other ways it's just more realist. So he's a weird bridge author. He, he does have a mixture of both. He also wrote um, the novel, the secret agent, which I have, but I haven't read yet, but it's so okay. heart of darkness is a novella. And then um, this is a short story. So the next step, I guess for me to read is that novel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You've read, you've had taste at every level, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The shortest, the mediumist, and then soon to be the longest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was the one I encountered in college. He, uh, if we wanted to pose, for example, the why question, like why would Penguin, we can only speculate, of course, to what the overlords are picking and why. But if we wanted to answer the why question, like why would we read this or why was he included? um, I think his novels are pretty distinguished, as was his career. He also was kind of like a multilingual kind of polyglot. And so he is especially respected because he wrote in English, but could have written in Polish and some other languages too. He kind of was this fascinating intellect in that way. Mm-hmm. I think his characters are interesting. He does a lot of psychology in the works of his that I've encountered anyway. So in, in that way, it is kind of modernist. You get these messy characters, messy narrators. And I think, I don't know. He also writes about the sea, which frankly, a lot of just literary, really, really famous literary figures love to write about for some reason. Uh, and that's, yeah, he joins those ranks. I think he had an occupant. He was like a seaman at some point. He was mm-hmm. yeah, a merchant, maybe a sea merchant. I don't remember, but yeah, yep. he, he worked yeah. on the sea as well. <laughs> if you are a famous white man and you were a writer, you probably were a seafaring person <laughs> at one point. There's a, at least a, as far as throwing the dart at that dartboard, you're more likely to hit than not, I believe, though I guess I could be wrong. I think that probably has changed in the last 50 years just because of the way occupations and even maybe even masculinity have, have changed in some mm-hmm. ways. But And so, yeah, but that certainly before 1900, those things overlapped a ton. So <laughs> there's that. And we'll get into the colonial stuff later, actually. But yeah, I think that's a brief or good enough thorough rundown before we jump in here. Let's begin our reviews then, as we usually do, with a one-sentence simile review of the work. Amanda, what was your simile this week? Um, so I said reading this is like looking at Van Gogh's Starry Night, um, which I think probably everybody has seen just because it's mm-hmm. uh, part of just cultural awareness of art <laughs> yeah osmosis happens with that yeah. one yeah yeah so um the reason for that is like uh the the swirls and the whorls and, and everything it, it makes a cohesive picture right overall you can see if you take a step back you can see it but like the little pieces if they were if you were to just focus on them one by one it seems to be just like a jumble of images that don't seem to make sense um mm-hmm. but regardless of whether you are looking at the whole picture or you're looking at just one piece of it, the, the feeling that is uh, evoked from that, the, the sadness is just overwhelming and you can't escape the feeling of it. And so when I was reading mm-hmm. this, you just could not, I felt like I could not escape the feeling of isolation, loneliness, sadness. 
Yeah, I think it strikes a strong mood and tone both, yeah. it, and it and it comes across consistently throughout, which is something that I, I think we'll both praise. I guess we'll see it when we dive in deeper, but no, completely. I, yeah, it's kind of a cohesive thing, and both the parts and the whole, I think, held up pretty well yeah. like that in that painting. Weirdly, that painting does not make me feel sad at all, actually, but we don't have time to do an analysis of fine art. <laughs> but uh, no, the way you explained it makes perfect sense. Great. My simile review is that I thought that this reading this was like having you meet up with a, f- a friend after a very long period of being away. And mm-hmm. so you get excited when you see them again and maybe over celebrate. You maybe go three to four drinks too deep mm-hmm. and you know, you it's, it's worth it in the end. You know, you wouldn't have it any other way, but you have to suffer the hangover because of what you've done. Uh, yeah. Maybe would have been good to have some restraint, but you just <laughs> let it happen anyway and you just get overly excited. Yeah. Uh, that one's pretty, that review though is pretty personal to me because of how important Joseph Conrad's writing was to me at when I first started, I don't know, doing like serious literary study, I guess we could say, or I could say. And so it was interesting to revisit an old friend. I mostly quite enjoyed it, but there were moments also where I had to kind of pull back a little bit, or I thought like, eh, okay, maybe that doesn't come off as well as I would have assumed it was, or I noticed things in the work that I wouldn't have, you know, a decade ago or something. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I thought it was really quite enjoyable, but I wouldn't say it was a a shining perfect experience. I got a bit of a literary hangover reading some of it, but Mm. yeah, that's, I think was my reaction to it. That's, that's great. I did not go into this really with high hopes because I did not like Heart of Darkness, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is the work. I mean, that there's no question that if you were to pick something out of a hat that people have encountered of his, that's going to be it probably 99 times out of a hundred mm-hmm. or apocalypse now, which, you know, is an adaptation. What, um, let's move to connections then. Did you find any relevance to 2020? We also like to, at the beginning of the reviews, give a brief connection and see what relevance the work has because most of the things in the Penguin set anyway are very old. So did you see any immediate <laughs> connections? Yeah, it's just, you know, every work I feel like that we've encountered has has had some kind of relationship with COVID and I just can't escape it. Yeah. But- <laughs> And um, we won't. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. You better you better slink, sink in, people. Yeah, you know, get exactly. used to it. <laughs> it's here forever. Um, yep. So, but to also relate it back to the simile, the, the feeling of isolation. So, I think that with um, people now, with all the restrictions and stuff like that, it's it's a, a sense of isolation and loneliness um, and helplessness too. I think is a big thing um, against a lot of what's happening right now with, with COVID. And even if you think that COVID is like something that's not a big deal, the, in the, the rules and the regulations that are happening um, right now to try to keep people healthy and safe, that can also be isolating and, and stuff like that. So I, that's how I connected. It was just the feeling of like forced alienation yeah, uh, and right. the hope that there is an end soon tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow for that uh, isolation to, to go away. Yeah, it's um, he makes for a, an intriguing study in that comparison, maybe a really grim one too. clawing at something that uh, <laughs> who knows when it'll arrive. Maybe never Just live in <laughs> live in this apartment bedroom for the rest of time. There you go. For the rest of my time. Yeah. My connection was, I think, broader, though yours is, yeah, I've been trying to purposefully just dance around the COVID ones as much as possible. 
I, I think we could, yeah, I could probably string along something every single book and connect it to the coronavirus we've been enduring for a long time now. So I, yeah, I'm just going to purposely avoid that if I can. Yeah. Parents is the connection I came up with, which is broad, but I think there's a couple different parent um, son or daughter dynamics in this story. Mm-hmm. And I think obviously the way you answer the question of, you know, what should my relationship with my parents be or what, how am I accountable to them or what do I owe them would be another way to phrase that. Mm -hmm. These things are dramatically different when you grow up or depending on your cultural background and what was instilled in you or not. So I think it's, there are interesting questions that could be posed. I think people will come away from very different expectations and answers, but the dysfunction and the tenderness at times is quite relatable. I thought some of the descriptions of them between there, because there's a couple different dynamics happening there. Three that I think are pretty noteworthy, but and so yeah, I think you're you're sort of what's the expression? The not the distance you'll go will, will vary. What's the expression I'm trying to come up with, Amanda? Right here on the spot, uh, your mileage mileage may vary. I was like, man, I really <laughs> interpreted that quite literally. Your the distance you go may vary. There's a word for that, and that word is mileage. Um, yeah, so that your mileage may vary, but I think that if you you know have a either a strained or a strong relationship with your parents, you'll notice some things here. There's some subtleties you'll pick up on. I think that's a great connection. I didn't really read um, according to that, but now that you say it, I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh man, that's, yeah, very clear. The most interesting too to me was actually if you view Hagbird and the, and Bon, is it Bonnie or Bali? Bonnie. Bessie? Bessie, there we go. Again, the names thing with me. It's never gonna. It's, I I can't I can't fix this part of myself. This podcast is just a long effort in trying to get me to learn names better. And yeah, I won't. I just my brain won't do it. Anyway, um, see, I already forgot. Is it Bessie? Bessie. Mm-hmm. Bessie. Anyway, I think their relationship is also a father daughter kind of an odd, but in an odd way. It's there's just dynamics all over the place. Anyway. Let's jump into some quotes then. This is when we get a little more analytical and specific. We're going to do some quotes to help clarify the style, the tone of the work, the things we liked and disliked. Do you want me to go first? I've been putting it all on your shoulders so far. Yeah, sure. Okay, let's jump in right away. Um, I think I'm going to pull this one first then. And it's right away because it was something that I thought was done well consistently throughout. And that was just some characterization. It's a quote about Captain Hagbird, who's the, I think, the main character. He's the retired sailor who lives in this small English town. The sentence reads, Captain Hagbird, amongst the mounds of turned up earth, chuckled. With his maritime rig, his weather-beaten face, his beard of Father Neptune, he resembled a deposed sea god who had exchanged the trident for the spade. And this is a commentary sort of on how he just digs up like chunks of his land. He just keeps, continues to dig up plots of earth in front of his home or in front of his little cottage. And I think that quote is the, it's the Conrad sweet spot of style where yes, it's complex. You have a reference to a God who you may or may not understand that reference, but it also calls that out too. And so it, I think it's kind of, it's complex and sophisticated and, you know, literary, uh, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but without being too sneering about it and without looking down at you, it's accessible, but there's depth too. And it's kind of clever. And I like the sentence construction. I like the, I like the, that chuckled verb at the end. It's kind of like an interesting little twist that you wouldn't see coming. You view him in, in this less serious light tonally. I think it's kind of intriguing too. And so I just think, it's the kind of character work that really it really draws me in when you're given a couple of things to contemplate, but perhaps are not berated. And I think I felt that way pretty consistently throughout is that he, he knows when to draw you in. He knows when to 
leave you thinking. And so I just think character work like that is, yeah, I thought pretty excellent. I agree. And if you're not familiar with um, mythology, the the description after using Neptune, it you, if you're not familiar, you can understand the context and still get it. So it's yeah. not, not dumbed down, but it's clarified in a way that, um, like you say, doesn't make the person reading it feel like they're um, ignorant or something like that. They're not being poked fun at for not knowing certain information. And it's a for great sure. description of, of Hagbert, especially I love the, the maritime rig, right? Because it's uh-huh. yeah. his clothes, <laughs> like his clothes are just. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he refuses to, he wears this very stiff, you know, Sail costume or outfit <laughs> yeah. from, from his previous life. And so, yeah, I've, I mean, even, you know, you look at weather beaten face, which uh, there's nothing extraordinary about that little turn of phrase, but in, in the collective, in right. that whole entire description, it's just a nice, again, it's a description in the middle too, that isn't going to weigh you down. He's not trying to throw constant twists at you, uh, like a T.S. Eliot poem or something. Right. So yeah, it's, it's got that right blend, I think for me. Um, any quotes stand out for you? What do you got? Yeah, to build on the idea of... Um characterization but also for me the um his ability to build emotion um i pulled a quote about uh hagbird and it said he flung his head back and laughed his throaty affected cackle of anger i really Mm -hmm. like that because it's a just a one sentence short but really clear right uh description of him and it's full of emotion so he's his throaty affected cackle of anger so he's like upset but the cackle makes it seem almost like evil which you'll see a lot of as well repetitions of the ideas of sin and and evil and the and the devil and all this other stuff too which just ties everything together really nicely but also the um his flinging his head back to laugh with anger is such a, a a disconcerting image because when somebody flings their head back to laugh, it's usually with just like there is a big laugh and they're happy, but this is with anger. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a really interesting contrast there. And it's a kind of a, I was going to say dichotomy. That's not the word juxtaposition. It's that is present throughout. He, you don't really know how to read him at times. It's a complexity that comes up explicitly too in the narrative that he's often seen as pathetic, but then he's quite intimidating and frightening, but then he's toothless and kind of, I don't know, pathetic in a way. And so, yeah, him, it's almost as if you don't know how to read him, that he he seems ferocious, but also that maybe he's just having a laugh of it all. And the whole thing is absurd to him too. And so- yeah, I think it's it's those kind of contradictions that make it so intriguing to read. Also, it yeah, it's quite vivid, I would say. Yeah. No, it's a great, great description. I'm going to give one more quote. To be fair, um, I did want to read the final sentences of the story. That was the other quote I pulled. But I think I'm actually going to draw back on that just because of, I guess, spoilers as much as they could be or they are. But I just wanted to chat out the ending. I think it has... It does a lot of things well, including just complexity and has like 20 interesting thoughts happening at once. Mm -hmm. The other quote I'll actually read those is about Bessie, the probably second most important character maybe in the work. And this is a description of her in a way. And it says, his hopeful craze seemed to, or that might've been gaze. Hmm. I might actually look that up. That's going to bug me if I don't. His hopeful craze seemed to mock? I guess it's his craze over his son. His, he's, that he's, yeah. 
I'm double checking that though. It is craze. No, I got it. I might even just leave this whole bit in just to show the thoroughness here. The research department finally at work. <laughs> They've been asleep for so long. <laughs> uh, anyway, I just wanted to make sure I had that right because it could have been either. But no, it makes sense craze because it's a- about his son returning. He's crazed over it. And so anyway, the quote reads on 23, his hopeful craze seemed to mock her own want of hope with so bitter an aptness that in her nervous irritation, she could have screamed at him outright. But she only said in self-mockery and speaking to him as though he had been sane, why, Captain Hagbird, your son may not even want to look at me. And that's a reference to the fact that he keeps mentioning to her that when his son returns tomorrow, even though he hasn't yet, after 15 years, that he might be able, he might be interested in marrying her because the, you know, Captain Hagbird thinks highly of her, calls her the only sane woman in miles or something like yeah. that. I think it's it's those, and this story, to be fair, doesn't do her a ton of favors, but I don't think it intends to, and I think it, it gives her enough complexity and enough moments like that that I think she's a fascinating study. I don't think you're going to read this coming away feeling empowered if you're a feminist, but also I don't think literature should always make us feel empowered. I, I think it's a fascinating thing that has wrinkles in it and her character is worthy of multiple angles, basically. This was a moment that stood out to me just because... I don't know if it's an empowering moment, but it showed that she she's kind of teasing out praise. Like she wants to be the only reason she is self mocks there is because she knows that he likes her and will then counter that. You know, it's right. like she's she is manipulating him into praise and she seems to know him better than anyone. And so it's this weirdly empowering moment in in a way where it it reveals how well she knows him and also how desperate she is for a, attention and positivity, probably. Oh yeah. In a, in a way. So I think I don't know. It's just in a, in a moment that doesn't come across as too aggressive in the narrative, but also I don't think she overcomes these like simple female character stereotypes that literary history has, has used and has shown us, mm-hmm. but there is depth here for sure. And there's psychological complexity happening. And I think that quote just speaks to that. She's not totally passive in the narrative though. I think her meaning is supposed to be about passivity. So it's not, it, it, I think it has complex readings in it, I guess is the short version of this ramble. Um, and so, yeah, I, I appreciated that moment. I read her character, I think very differently from you because you, you commented earlier that um, Captain Hagbird is the main character, but I actually thought that Bessie was the main character and the, sure, yeah. the reason for that is that uh, Captain Hagbird does not actually evolve as a character, whereas Bessie, with the realization and, and, and the meeting at the end there, she becomes, there's a, a shift in her. So I thought yeah. her as a round character, and she's somebody who, who actually like evolves by the end. So I saw her as actually the main character. It's also definitely true that the, without, uh, you know, spoiling whatever that would mean, but without saying too much, her, the importance of the sun is much more for her. And right. that's the perfect, you're right. The profound shift in that conflict is it's all centers around her, yeah. not around the father for again, reasons that, you know, go into the story, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. Again, we'd have to do a full deep dive to explain the round or flat dynamic. I, I guess I'd have to reread the end. Uh, it felt like she was still deeply trapped to me. 
So I didn't, I didn't see, I guess maybe I'm saying the circumstances stayed pretty flat. I guess her, the way her character responds to those might be different. Right. Maybe I'm missing or forgot about something or it, it felt very tragic to me, the ending. And so I didn't feel a lot of that evolution, but again, that could be a plot thing or a conflict thing. Well, I think that the evolution is tied to hope and her loss of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw that at the beginning. You mean in regards to the son? It yeah. had a deep emotional impact on her that the, the book reminds you of maybe too many times about, you know, her tr- her hands can only tremble so often, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's maybe a detail that gets overplayed. There were a couple moments like that, too. I mean, it's a fine line, as we've discussed in this podcast. When is an author being thorough and attentive versus when are they berating you can be that that line can be thin. Yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> and, and so, no, but I mean, yeah, even just we, we dipped into a conversation there that on a different pod under a different theming, we would probably keep digging into. Right. But yeah, you know, the, the fact that we can broach it shows, I think, a good, again, a good hearty complexity here that does not have one authoritative reading, which um, I know we both enjoy. Yeah. Any other quotes you want to throw out there to help clarify? Yeah. So um, one of the things that I noticed was, and I mentioned it before, was his uh, use of uh the language of evil sin and stuff like that. And so it yeah. all culminates in the end um, towards the end where yeah. um, Bessie, um, this is about Bessie. She heard him at last and as if overcome by fate began to totter silently back toward her stuffy little inferno of a cottage. It had no lofty portal, no terrific inscription of forfeited hopes. She did not understand wherein she had sinned. And I really like this because this is an allusion to Dante's Inferno. And I know you and Drew talked about that in one of your yeah, earlier. We reviewed that a while back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so even if you're not necessarily uh, uh, somebody who has read Dante's Inferno, like he does try to kind of really tie that in throughout by using that, that language of sin and stuff like that. And I just thought that that was a really nice stylistic uh, choice to, to tie it all together mm-hmm. like that in the end. And I was just like, oh man, that's great. <laughs> so I really liked that. <laughs> and if the second sentence there had been literally deleted, I think it would still read very well because you would not be confused by the end why he would call he, why he would call this cottage a stuffy little inferno like yeah. that that reading with no illusion makes complete sense and is pretty is very apt and quite intense and so i think that reads perfectly anyway yeah. and then yeah the second sentence is just the you know you're just doing the the posing after the slam dunk like you you already hit the description well but then here's the connection to the literary thing that people expected. And I think that the second sentence too is really important because it talks specifically about forfeited hopes. So the loss of hope there. And then also the, the bewilderment, her bewilderment, because she's like, what have I done? Right. She did not understand wherein she had sinned. She didn't know what she had done in order to deserve the crappy life that mm-hmm. she, she currently has. <laughs> right. It was dealt. Yeah. No, completely. It, and in terms of, I don't know, thematic ideas, fate was the one that I probably marked and wrote down the most about throughout the the book. Again, sometimes that comes up a lot explicitly. Sometimes it's more hinted at between what the sun, when the sun or maybe the sun shows up, I'll say that person, that character discusses fate pretty explicitly in terms of the characters and what's happened to them with the, the things they've deserved or not, the way life has treated them or bandied them about. I think that thematically, again, becomes quite rich. And so 
there, there would be plenty to discuss or analyze there if you if you wanted to chose to and i think the book you know presents it pretty clearly to you too yeah any final quotes again i'm going to w- abstain and for my third and final i think two also i feel pretty good about any final quotes you want to throw out there um i'll just throw out my my third one just so that um mm-hmm. just to have it be rounded out but another thing that i really enjoyed was mm-hmm. um that he, Conrad was able to input little observations, but they were put in very seamlessly, which not a lot of authors can do. Sometimes it sounds preachy or it's just yeah. like out in the middle of nowhere. But Conrad, he he embeds it within other description descriptions rather and and other explanations so that you're not even realizing necessarily that he's telling you a viewpoint that he has about humanity. And I think that he's he does it really well. So one of the ones that I pulled was um, every mental state, even madness has its equilibrium based upon self-esteem. It's disturbance causes unhappiness. And then he ties it to um, Hagbird's mental state and stuff like that. So it's not just yeah. out of nowhere that he's making this comment. He is tying it to a character and explaining the characterization, but also making an observation on on humanity and and on a particular group of people. Yeah, no, definitely. It feels, it feels like that sweet spot balance of being sophisticated without being, without being unreadable or unapproachable or something like that. So yeah, I think he, he strikes that perfectly well. Let's move then to the other analytical part of the review, the literary corner. This is the educational segment where we attempt to teach you the listener some literary device and connect it to the work. I'm just jumping on to yours this week, Amanda. So why don't you lead us off with anti-hero and talk us through that? Sure. So an anti-hero is not the same thing as an antagonist or an enemy, but it is the, the main character. Um, but the character is not the kind of person that you would normally think of as a hero. So they don't, maybe they don't have courage. Maybe they're not honest, right? It's the, they're more human almost in a way. So think about, for example, Deadpool, (laughs) right? So he's Mm -hmm. um, a hero in a lot of ways. I mean, he's in, is it DC or Marvel or something? I don't know which one. I think it's Marvel because he's an X-Man, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so Deadpool, also Wolverine, right? These guys have traits Mm -hmm. that are not necessarily heroic, right? They can be deeply selfish and and stuff like that. So um, an anti-hero is the hero, is the main character of the story, but just not the kind of person that you would necessarily think of as like Superman or something. Yeah, they end up having the key moment or they end up delivering the key resolution or saving the day, however you want to put it, Mm -hmm. but they don't line up with all the same traits. The Penguin Dictionary mentioned that traditional heroes were dashing, strong, brave, and resourceful, even though those often were complicated more than we would accept in in classic stories or something. Mm -hmm. The sentence that I wanted to pull from the Penguin definition was just that it says, the anti-hero is the man who is given the vocation of failure, (laughs) which uh, if we just swap in woman there, we could easily plug Bessie for this too. But I think that description is, that is Hagbird's role in this story. So in a way that it's the perfect description, it's the perfect literary corner for him because that his whole role in the story is to be, a repetitive failure and disappointment to himself at least. And he's just stuck in this stasis of failure. I think we could say. Yeah. I'm not sure if you felt that way about Bessie too. 
For sure, right? She has hopes to get out of of that quagmire of of failure, but in the end, it doesn't work out for her either. So, yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem to there doesn't seem to be any relief in sight for them. And so, yeah, I think it's a perfect connection too. If you're interested in anti heroes, there are definitely at least there's one, and I think I agree, two characters here that make for a a good study of that concept. Any other thoughts on that one? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Yeah, I think it fits perfectly. It's a really good one. Though, again, can't say too much more without spoiling major parts. So let's just move to the official reviews then. We'll begin our official reviews, final recommendations with the Russell French in Memoriam segment. This is the So What's Good About It segment, where we have to give genuine praise to the work we read. I think this will be easy. I don't mind going first because I think we both enjoyed reading this. The character work, I think, is exceptional in this story. It's, you know, it's a short story of 50 or so pages in my little black classic edition. So probably it's really like a 20 or 20 page short story, 25 ish. Mm-hmm. And I think Conrad spreads the description on thick when, when you kind of need it, when he's establishing or when there's a scene building, but then also there are all these subtleties you can read into that build up. And I, hopefully our quotes illustrated that. So I think it's, it strikes really the, an excellent balance between giving you the things you need to know and then teasing out the things he wants you to think about and maybe not know by the end, but sort of contemplate by the end. So I just thought the characters were excellent all around. Even the son, who we didn't really talk much about without, because again, that would be spoiling things. Was it the son? Was it not? Whatever. Anyway, so I think, and, and the father, we didn't talk about him, the the uh, wheelchair-bound yeah. father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we didn't talk about him either. All of them are fascinating studies, though some more detailed than others. Yeah. So that's and my the praise. Barber, right? The rando barber who was like, making fun of Hagrid yeah. in the beginning. Like I found him fascinating yeah. too. I was like, man, yeah, that mad, was funny, but I want to know more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Completely. It was a little bit of comic relief in a way. Yeah. Yeah. What do you got for what's good about it, Amanda? So I agree. The character work was great. And I think that just in general, the descriptions, not only of the characters, um, but also of the setting itself, where it's like, you can really see how ugly these cottages are because he's, he's all about being like, efficient and also like kind of miserly and stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think that the setting, just his use of description is really well done. And also just his uh, use of language, the careful use of, of certain words in order to tie it all together at the end. I just found that really cleverly done. Yeah. Yeah. Strong, just complete package in terms of style tone, mm-hmm. the things you'd want, I think are, are present here. Let's not waste any more time then. I think I know we're headed for in terms of ratings. Do you want to start us off this week? What do you got? I got a three. Yeah. Maximum recommendation for us. That means definitely read this. Yeah. For sure. Even if you have no interest in Heart of Darkness, which I did not like. uh, I'll just say that again. Mm -hmm. Um, Although that was a long time ago. I should probably reread it to see if I find it better. Um, It can be interesting to revisit things like that. It's true. So maybe I'll reread it uh, before I tackle mm-hmm. the novel. But um, I, I started reading this kind of just like, oh, my gosh, is this going to be like a slog? Is it going to be just depressing? And yeah, it was really sad. But I was really pleasantly surprised. And I really enjoyed reading this. I mean, I zoomed right through it. It's an easy mm-hmm. read, yeah. Um, despite being so old. But also, it's just really, I love, I think, his ability to dive into the psychology of a person and not just Hagbird, mm-hmm. but also we see without him, without 
Bessie's perspective. We don't get the same perspective as we do from Hagbird, right? We don't get the same insights, but his characterization of Bessie as well, you can see a lot of what's going on with her psychologically. And I just think, Mm -hmm. man, I was just really Mm -hmm. interested in, in how the story would develop. And I think that he, anybody would enjoy this regardless. And, And let's praise it for something I hadn't yet thought of or said, it's kind of, for me, the perfect situation for a short story. It has just the right amount of drama, just the right number of characters. Yep. It's it's a brief window of time. It doesn't overextend, I don't think. You know, it, it, it has a clear scenario, and then it pays that scenario off, so to speak. Yeah. It, you know, establishes something, clearly pays it off, and it doesn't leave an ending with total clarity, but nor is it ambiguous. I think, again, right. it just hits all the notes, right? I agree. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. nice, neatly packaged story. Yeah, definitely. It's a strong three for me as well. Probably one of the strongest I've felt in a long time. This was a fascinating read for me because I hadn't read Conrad since college. And my experience and exposure to him in high school is very personal because of how much I responded to our Heart of Darkness study and how much I loved it. And it affected me quite deeply in in high school and really changed my reading life. I would say not my, I don't think it changed my actual life though, maybe because I've majored in that partially because I had a renewed interest in literature. Um, but mostly it was just, I responded to it in this literary way that I had not by reading something before. And so it had this literal impact. I was nervous The the study I did in college was in a colonialism class where he is not viewed nearly as favorably though. It's funny. I went back to the, for the research part, I went to Wikipedia. Thank you. Wikipedia research department as always shout outs, <laughs> but the, whoever edited that must have a pretty, the, the quotes and the things they pull about Conrad in that regard seem to favor him as not really an imperialist, which Actually, it's kind of how I still read him overall, even after that class. I'm not fully bought in, in on him as a you know pro-colonialist writer or something. Right. But th- that's a, that's worth a dozen podcasts. There's no way we can unpack it here. It's also not explicitly a part of this story at all. Just in case you're curious, listener. But <laughs> I, I was just nervous to revisit because I you know I had such a strong reaction. Then the colonialism studies I thought brought some intrigue to his work and definitely some criticism that I had never considered and that we didn't even really cover in AP that I can remember. So anyway, I, I was just, wasn't sure what my reaction would be to something of his I hadn't seen. And his, I think he's just an extraordinary writer. I don't know. I'd, you don't want to, I don't feel like I need his, a positive opinion of him to validate my personality or my taste or something, but you don't want to look back on something you once loved and think, man, that was trash. I cannot believe I, (laughs) I don't understand why I like that thing so much. Right. But yeah, I don't know. In a weird way, I felt validated by this, which is not a good thing to say. Don't make art, don't make your taste part of your personality per se. That would mm-hmm. be my recommendation, but it, I don't know. Yeah. I felt weirdly positive about reading it just because I felt like, Oh yes, this does check all of the things off that I love in a good piece of literature and it, and he still got it or, you know, he still had it so to speak. So yeah, a strong three for me too. If you don't want to read this story, find some kind of Joseph Conrad that is at your reading interest level, whether it's a short story, a novella or something else. agree. Yeah, yeah. And we can uh, perhaps relitigate Heart of Darkness at another time. Though I don't think I can read... I already struggled rereading anything, and I think I've read that about three times now for just different classes throughout my life. So I I don't know if I'm up for a fourth reading of that one. I feel like I've exhausted my thoughts on Heart of Darkness. I don't know what what is left for me. Even even Apocalypse Now has made it into a film class I had to do, and that was part of our AP curriculum. It's just the whole thing I feel like I've consumed 
uh, quite thoroughly. So I don't know if I'm going back there, but maybe a novel one day. Yeah, they, you can borrow my secret agent novel. Yeah, Lord Jim is the novel of his that I remember most clearly having to read, and that was made for a good study as well. I remember thinking that it was intriguing and really well written, same as same as this has been. Any final thoughts then on Conrad, Amanda, or on Tomorrow? No, just read it. It's so great. Yeah, yeah, go check this out. I think sincerely, it I, makes for a great evening of reading, for sure. I th- don't think you'll be let down. Next week, we've got coming up some nonfiction. I'm not even going to read the title because it's way too long, but it's a piece of it's a piece of Tudor propaganda about people sailing around the world or something. So that should make for a, a hard contrast to this. We'll see if we like it or not. We'll see if it's worth recommending and reading. And until next week, folks, we will see you between the classics. <laughs> <laughs>